Welcome to episode eight of the Easier Said Than Done podcast. My name is Brandon Donahue. With me is Bob Horgan and Dave Toscano. Fellas, how are we doing? What's going on? Not bad. Getting a little uh, spring sickness, but we're powering through. Yeah, so you'll notice that I said uh, episode eight, and if you go and look for episode seven, it's not there. Um, episode seven was our best podcast probably so far. Um, so good that only me, Bob, and Dave were allowed to witness it and listen to it. So um no well we just had some some technical difficulties and it's too bad that we lost it but hey nothing we can do now just got to move forward with it um yeah we did on the podcast that we lost we predicted oral roberts to go to the sweet 16 we predicted loyola chicago to beat illinois we predicted ohio to beat virginia we actually Um, predicted the uh, the perfect sweet 16 yeah other than texas we had texas we did have texas yeah yeah horns horns up horns up horns Horns down horns up shaka dude gone yeah i mean that's for the best i think like there nobody was getting anything out of that relationship either way and now i'm hearing is maybe chris beard from texas tech and if you throw a bag at that guy i would be so happy with it probably one of the better coaches that you could get honestly so let's just hop right into it. Uh, first weekend slash week, whatever the hell you want to call it, of March Madness is come and gone. We had some big upsets, like I mentioned, Abilene Christian taking down Texas. Oral Roberts took down not only Ohio State, but Florida to make it to the Sweet 16 as the first 15 seed, or the second Sweet 16, 15 seed ever behind our friends at Florida Gulf Coast. We also had Loyola Chicago taking down Illinois. In the second round, Ohio, like I mentioned, took down UVA. And there's probably a couple others that I'm failing to mention, but we'll touch on it all. So I guess we'll stop and we'll start in the top left bracket. So the Sweet 16 from those those teams, we got Gonzaga, Creighton, USC, Oregon. So I guess we'll start at the top and work our way down. Gonzaga Coast, no surprise there. Anything that you learned from those games? Gonzaga's good. Very good. Really good, yeah. Yeah. Kispert's a weapon. If they can figure out how Timmy can, like, be 20 points every single game, he'll be a weapon. Just, like, I I think he was he was a complimentary piece. I don't think – like, he has been one of the better players in the team the entire season. But, like, to get 20-plus out of him in a game is a huge plus. And to not even need that much production out of Suggs until, like, late rounds is huge for them, too. And to cover that spread, like – I believe it was 15 and a half over a good team. Like 15 and a half is huge for a good team. And they covered it, I believe, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. And then uh, they're playing Creighton. So Creighton took down UC Santa Barbara. A little bit of a scare there. Santa Barbara was was giving them a run for their money for a little bit. And then they beat Ohio, who beat UVA. But, oh, I mean, nonetheless, pretty unconvincing from Creighton so far. Um, I think you could say that they're probably the a lot of team. A lot of people have them ranked as the the worst team remaining in the the tournament. Um, that being said, like fourteen point underdogs against Gonzaga, they'll either cover that pretty comfortably. They, don't, they probably won't win, or it will be a thirty point loss. Yeah, Creighton's got a kid from Massachusetts, Marcus Zagorowski. He's he's legit. But, like, there's just – there's not enough. I mean, they have to play the perfect game to even have it uh, – even if they play the perfect game, I, I just don't see Gonzaga losing. 
Yeah. No, I think so too. Um, and then the next game we have, or the next team in the Sweet 16, we have USC who took down Drake and then took down Kansas pretty convincingly. convincingly. Um, just kind of another, another, another bullet into the the tough season that the Blue Bloods programs have had this year. Um, third worst Kansas loss in the last 30 years, losing by 30 points. Um, I mean, just, just not a great Kansas team this year, not what we're typically used to seeing. Not a three seed. Not a three seed. But Evan Mobley is really good. He's really good. And Oh, we'll get, we'll talk about it afterwards, I guess. Um, you're not gonna say what I think you're gonna say, right? No, maybe no. Nope. Don't even think about it. They're playing Oregon. Oregon didn't even have a first round game. VCU got COVID, so they coasted right into the second round. And then Oregon plays Iowa, takes them down like convincingly. Luca Garza's in tears after putting up 36 points. I mean, like he's not a likable guy, but I felt bad. Yeah, that post game uh, presser was was sad. Yeah, and like he has like a top five punchable face in the in college basketball this year. Dude, the worst nose, the worst nose. And the fact that like none of them were hitting threes, and that's like how they won their games this year. Is like okay, like five minutes in, you're like this isn't gonna be pretty, is it? The the Pac twelve. I mean, they had so they have what four teams still left. Yeah. I that's got to be the most correct of any conference. Yes, maybe, maybe. Okay, um, don't look dominant. They like those two games. I mean, man, Oregon looked fucking legit. Yeah. I think Oregon was supposed to be like they were top fifteen, and I remember they didn't play like a lot of games early. They had a COVID thing like before it was even like a thing in college basketball. And they then, had two. They had two weird losses in the Pac twelve somewhere like. I don't think it was right after they got back from COVID, but like two weeks or so after they got back from COVID and then just started streaking going into the Pac-12 tournament and then lost, I think, to Colorado. I'm pretty sure they had a couple injuries and then they got full strength towards the end. I got to take, could that Oregon-USC game be the game of the weekend. I think you could make a very strong or for the for the of the sweet sixteen, I guess. Of this yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, of the sweet sixteen, yes. Yeah, no, you could make a very strong case that it is. I mean that's that's gonna be a really, really good game. And they've already played two times, three times, at least twice. Twice, I think. Um I mean the both teams are just really, really entertaining to watch. Mobley's really good. Oregon's just always they're always a good March team. Yeah. Especially the last, like, seven or eight years, they've always had a good program. Um, I mean, Gonzaga's probably still going to walk out of this this region even easier than initially thought. But I think it's, USC can give them a game if they can limit the outside shooting because Mobley, I think, is a lot better than Timmy is. See, I was going to say – I was going to go with Oregon. You think? I think they, they kind of have a similar – like, Gonzaga's kind of got, like – their four guard, guard, whatever, whatever you want to call Kispert, those four dudes, Suggs, Iie, Nemhart, and Kispert, they're kind of all, like, interchangeable. Suggs is the one, but, like, those other guys can kind of play, like, that one through three role. Yeah. And then Timmy's more of, like, a four, I guess, maybe, yeah. maybe a five. And if you watch Oregon at all, like, 
Durarte, Figueroa, um, like Williams, and then they got their big guy. They're kind of that similar, like all kind of six four, six five, six six, with like a six eight big. So that could be a game of, you know, two similar styles going at it, which I think would be a good game. The over in that game might be like 180. Oh, my God, yeah. At least. And if it's not, then I'm taking the over. Um, I guess we'll move down. So Michigan slips away from LSU. One of the better games of the tournament so far, I'd say. Um, LSU could have won that game. A lot of, lot of self-inflicted wounds there. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that it was a popular upset. I know a lot of people, including some people on this podcast, were on LSU Moneyline. Yep. So that was a tough game to see. But, I mean, I, th- I think it was also like a Michigan was like, all right, like, hey, give us a little bit of respect. We're a one seed still, you know. And then they're going to be playing Florida State, who just took down Colorado after Colorado absolutely wiped the floor with Georgetown. And – I think that was more of the Pac-12 Colorado that I was expecting to see than the Colorado that wiped the floor with Georgetown. I was really expecting the Pac-12 to shit themselves, for lack of a better term, um, in March. But credit to them, the conference in general has performed. But the story is Florida State getting to the Sweet 16 here. I think they can cause them a lot of problems. I still think Michigan's going to win this game after I saw them play against LSU. Yeah, I mean, one player, I think Levers got injured and then everyone started to kind of hop off the bandwagon. But as you said, there's still a one seed. And I do I, – I also wanted to mention the Pac-12 too. I mean, we definitely – I know I did sleep on them at least going into the tournament. And I think it's just, it just all goes back to like how the, strange this season was with non-conference and like people not playing each other, lack of non-conference games. So they're really – really wasn't um, – what am I trying to say? There really wasn't the rest of the schedule to look at to try to predict these games. So I think yeah. that's why this year's a little more wacky than in the past. Yeah. So, and um, so I guess moving down there, so it has to be addressed. Um, Texas lost to Abilene Christian on Saturday, and I was properly turned into a meme because of it. Me and Bob were together on Saturday – you were the butt of every joke. Yeah. Uh, we had kids chirping me, yelling at me. We had well, someone who I – Dear he's friend. A friend. He's, a, he's a friend, and he considers himself to be a Texas fan. Live betting, screaming fuck Texas afterwards, and then putting horns down and still claiming to be a Texas fan. And I'm not going to name names. Um, initials might – Initials might be JB, something around that. JB. If, he, if he's a real fan, he'll, he'll know. He'll text us if he's a real fan of the pod. Yeah, no. So J, if JB is listening to this podcast right now um, and he's hit this part, text me and Bob and say, I apologize for horns down, period. That's it. Don't even say anything else. Okay. So moving on to the next game. Um, so there – or sorry, UCLA is getting out of that. They beat Abilene Christian, kind of took care of them. And then Alabama has taken care of what they needed to do. Yeah. I mean, a game against Maryland was, I mean, that second half was incredible. Okay. They didn't look like they were going to miss once. That's what good teams do. 
yeah. Good teams do. Bama's dangerous. They're really good defensively. Yeah, and I mean they can they can score a hundred points like that too. I mean I think they were at like thirty five points going into the first half. No, it might have been more than that, but still, I mean they could have hit a hundred points easy. Um, we need to talk. So I told I told Bob on Monday night I put in a parlay. I put in Hunter Dickinson over six and a half rebounds, Cam Thomas over two and a half threes, and then I put Javon Quinterly over fourteen points in the late game, and those first two hit. And then, so I was like, okay, it was plus 600. So it was like, all I need was, is Quinterly. And I texted Bob before and he's like, well, you should be fine with the first two, but Quinterly hitting 13 and a half or hitting 14 might be a little bit of a stretch. And I was like, ah, no, I think I'll be fine. So I'm watching the game and he's put up like 11 shots and he's six for 11 from the, or no, he's four for 11 from the field total. And he's got eight points or seven points, something like that. No, he had seven points. So I think it was three from 11 actually, which is even worse. And there's six minutes left in the second half. I was like, there's no chance this is hitting. This is a loser. And I'm watching it, and he hits a three. I'm, or, or No, no, he hits one in the lane. I'm like, okay, maybe we have a little bit of life. Next trip down the court, it's got a little bit more life. At that point, Alabama's up by 25 or something like that. The under four timeout hits. I'm like, okay, well, there's no shot that he's coming back in. Like, this is a loser. Give me a little bit of hope. He comes out of the timeout, hits a three and then chirps the guy that he hit the three over. He gets teed up, and Alabama takes him out for the rest of the game. And I was like, you know what? Fine. I got that for the push. So I thought it was the push. I go back, and I look. Over 13 and a half. I, I like, that, that's why you gamble right there. In, in that story alone, that's why I gamble. Okay, now that we have that personal story out of the way, uh, Alabama's going to cruise over UCLA. Yeah, Alabama's going to roll. They're still good. If you hit 15 threes against anyone like that, you're going to win, especially when you have the defense. Yeah. We'll move to top right now. Um, so, Baylor. Baylor. I think we slept on Baylor. I think we slept on Baylor. And we were so focused on how not good they were coming out of the COVID break to really fail to recognize how good they were before. And if they got a couple wins under their belt and the momentum – they got maybe maybe they might be a force to be reckoned with. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah they got they got the perfect like March kind of. You got a stud guard, and then you got like a couple other guys who, when needed, can like get a bucket whenever. You got a couple like solid bigs that can kind of do a little bit of everything, and then you get some shooters. So that's that's your recipe to success. Yeah, and I I actually sneaky. Like I've talked about before, I liked Villanova this year. Um, when Gillespie got hurt, obviously that changed. Also, Villanova should have Javon Quinley, so he should be their starting point guard. But that's a different story. Um, I weirdly wouldn't like if if Villanova came out and blew Baylor out of the water somehow. I I don't see this happening at all. I see Baylor kind of rolling comfortably, but if Villanova somehow went out and won by like fifteen, I don't think I would be shocked in the least bit. Oh, I would. Like, if, even if Villanova made, like, a Final Four run, I wouldn't be surprised. Really? At all. At all. Yeah, I mean, I don't I know. know. I think uh, it's, uh, like, uh, something, to be, something to be said for, like, having an established program and, um, you know, just being, like, knowing how the road goes and, how, like, you've been there before and being able to, to play in the moment. But I think just 
Baylor's better than them right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anything else, Dave? Anything? No, I don't think I slept on Baylor for the record. Yeah, you, you probably didn't. I think me, it's more me and Bob did. I actually, in the bracket that I have still have the chance to win some money on, I had Baylor in my final. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It was, it was weird. Um, so going down to the next, uh, the bottom part of this region, Arkansas came out. I think we all um, – Okay, so going back to the bottom part of that region, um, Arkansas came out. I think we were all kind of expecting Arkansas to come out of it, but maybe wouldn't have been surprised if they didn't. And, I mean, it was easy. Like, I don't think they were really – like, they had a little bit of a scared in the first half of that Colgate game, and then after that, like, it was smooth sailing. The craziest part with Arkansas was they were – like two point underdogs against Texas Tech, and I was just like, I liked Texas Tech, but I just think they were two completely different styles, and they kind of played Arkansas style. And that's once you play the other team's style in a tournament, you can't be completely honest. I don't even remember that game happening. It was late Sunday night or my Sunday. I have no recollection of that game happening. I, I know I, I took it and I won money on it, so that's not reason why. Sunday, I think it was like it was like the eight forty five game on Sunday night, and it was one of those games where like, damn, I've watched some good basketball all week. Like, yeah. I really don't care to watch this game, but like, I know that like they're gonna win. Was it like right before the Oklahoma State one? Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's why. So. I don't know. I don't know the exact. I'm gonna be rooting for Arkansas. Strange tidbit, but Muscleman actually wears like Rev's shirts and Rev's masks at the practices. So yeah, I saw that. Is there a story behind that? I was, I couldn't find any like connection to the Rev's, but I don't know. He's not from the area or anything. So. All right. Well, all right. Then uh, Eric Musselman confirmed New England until I die. Um, And then, you know, Oral Roberts, beating Ohio State, beating Florida. I was at – I was in Keene watching this game in a bar in, in Keene. I – like, Dwayne Washington couldn't have done more to contribute to the Oral Roberts loss. Like, I I put out a tweet. Like, it was the heat of the moment. Like, you know, you hate you, – you're just upset. I said – I tweeted, like, Dwayne Washington will never amount to anything in life. Okay, sorry. This is my official apology to Dwayne Washington Jr. You might uh, – you might – accumulate to something in life but like you could not you could read the moment like figure it out what are you doing it was a mean tweet it was a mean tweet that you tweeted out that was yeah, it was mean tweet but he i mean and maybe he deserved a mean tweet coming out and maybe not that type of that mean but like he he deserved some shit yeah like, driving to the hole every single time bricking after bricking after bricking like ej liddell's hitting shots and you just fail to recognize that he's wide open and then you completely just clank on wide open three that would have tied it and put it into double overtime come on but hey props to oral roberts yeah yeah do we like oral roberts to beat arkansas no no do we like our oral roberts to even cover the spread 11 yeah. right it's 12 and a half 12 oh 11 uh no i think it's a blowout dave yeah. i mean i'm not gonna pretend i know a lot about oral roberts but they looked good in those two games yeah. So, 
Ironically, yeah. I was with my buddies at Florida Gulf Coast. So. Where are you? Yeah. Um, and then we'll, we'll move down to the last region here. So Loyola, Chicago, that bitch sister Jean did it again. She, the witchcraft, whatever the hell you want to call it, she did it. I mean, I, here's the thing. Loyola, Chicago had no business being an eight seed, if we're being honest. Yeah, or a five. Yeah, at the least. Yeah. At the least a five. Um, tough pairing for our, for our boys at Georgia Tech. Put up a fight there for a little while, but Loyola Chicago just pulled away at the end. Not having much is right hurt. Can we talk about how Cameron Crutwick doesn't even look like he should be allowed near school? And how he's just phenomenal. The mustache is the mustache is gross, but you know what, dude? That guy, he's the best player on every single time he steps on the floor, he's the best player. He, he looks like a, if Shrek was a human. Yeah. Actually, I, I really now that's mean. Mean. Yeah. I was creeping on his Instagram. Hot girlfriend. Good for him. Okay, well, I was just mean. I said he looks like if Shrek was a human. Here's me saying something nice. He's incredible at basketball, and he's a really good passer for a big man. He's got some Nikola Jokic in his game. So, do I'm going to give you the hottest take, and I'm, I'm going to gas myself up? Sure. I play like Cameron Crutwig and Jokic. <laughs> I literally I, – I was watching him play. I was like, damn, he's slow with his moves, but, like, he just – he gets to wherever he wants to go, can get anywhere, anywhere on the court. Like, I I don't know if that kid makes the NBA, but, like, again, he's the – he was the best player in that Illinois game. And Illinois had two guys who – one of them's going to be a first-round pick, and, like, one of them will – I don't know, like, he's pretty – Might be back? Yeah, but, like, Kofi will probably get, like, a he'll, – he'll be around. Like, if Udoka has yeah. a – he was a first-round pick, like, Kofi will get some love. Yeah. But – Crowley was the best player on the court by miles. miles. I was shocked. I was shocked that Illinois lost that game. I mean, like they, they just never looked like they were into it. No, no. Oh my God, no. From the from the opening from the opening tip, and I I picked Illinois in my own bracket to win the whole thing. I thought they were at least going to come out into the final four. I didn't see a scenario where they didn't. I was like, well, Houston's the number two seed. I thought the, the, the biggest obstacle was going to be to come overcome Oklahoma State in the Sweet 16, and after that, it was smooth sailing. This yeah, this Oklahoma might be – State. Yeah, Oklahoma State. What the fuck was that? Yeah, we should, should, we, should we transition to Oklahoma State? Well, I was going to have a quick, a quick take. I, I don't know the, the history behind this. I would love to see the teams that win their major conference tournament the weekend before, how they do – in the tournament, I just we feel like it, that on that somewhere. But. I just feel like it puts like, think you're just playing extra games. Like, I mean, eventually it gets into your legs. Like, eventually it does. And then, like, I think Illinois, like, you win on Sunday. You know, you're all, oh, we're great. And it's like your next couple of days of practice. I mean, you know, you're playing a 16. You're not getting up for that game. And it's like you're playing an eight. Are you really getting up for that game? And you just, Look, if you think about the Power Five, Texas is out. They won the Big Twelve. Georgia Tech's out. They won the ACC. Illinois out. They lost the big. Or they won the Big Ten. Uh, Bama still in. So all right. So out of the Big Five, the conference winners are two and three for and Bama and Oregon State. Are still yeah. There. Yeah, and Oregon State, I will continue to sleep on. I just don't know how to. I don't even know how to like judge them. Yeah, they. I was. Sh- now that we're talking, yeah, let's just talk about Oregon State. I, I still don't even know. Like, I, I know a couple of their guys. Like, I've seen them, like, play. I've 
watched a little bit of Oregon State. I couldn't I couldn't tell you what how. They've hammered Tennessee, who, like, I thought Tennessee had enough in the tank to win a game. And then they beat Oklahoma State. I couldn't – yeah. yeah. Yep. Going, off, going off your other thing, Bob, like, there is something to be said about momentum, like winning the tournament, Oregon, Oregon State for that matter. They won the Pac-12, correct? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's more of the, the teams that aren't expected to do anything that win their conference tournament or, like, guys that are – teams that are at the, the latter or the back half of their conference that do win the tournament, like that's where the momentum comes in. Yeah, because they have to play – I mean, they're playing like – like if you're Illinois, you knew – whatever, you played really good. Like you knew like there's going to be a tomorrow. Oregon State, like they knew – I don't even think – they were fifth in the Pac-12, so maybe they're an NIT team. But like, hey, dude, our season's over. I just – I'm shocked Illinois kind of just didn't show up. And like – Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll we'll go down to the to the bottom half of that region, the last half of the regions that we'll talk about. Um, Cuse, Buddy Bayon. I mean, you you called it, Bob. They're a problem. Buddy can shoot, bro. He can shoot. You ready for is this? He, he's a junior. Is he gonna come back? Do you think? I, I mean, dude, I don't know. Like now, I don't think his stock will never be ha- higher. I I don't think his stock changes though. Like worst comes to worst, he's a he's a high level three point shooter. Like. That that plays in today's game. Yeah, no, I think that's a great performance. That. So was, I actually, what was that, Dave? I said that was a great performance. He was hitting everything. Oh, oh my God, he was dude, doing with one second left in the shot clock, and he just threw it up, and it was nothing but net, like actual water. We t- we talk about this sometimes, like when watching the games, the the shot making like levels of these good players in college. Like, obviously, in the pros, it's even more incredible. Yeah. But like every time the ball left Buddy Beheim's hand, I was like. That ball, like, I, I'm shocked he doesn't shoot 100%. Shocked. Yeah. Uh, like, no, and, every time I think every shot's up. And um, this is the point in the podcast where if Matt McCallick is listening to this pod at all, um, fuck you and fuck the 2-3 zone. And I will continue to sleep on it just because you pick them to advance every single year. That's all I have to get off my chest. I know he's probably not even going to listen to this part, so it doesn't even matter. Um, and then Houston, like, the most unattractive, unsexy, like somehow they're here pick. Yep, they're going down tomorrow, so it doesn't matter. You think? Yes. Yep. I, I was going to say. This? I think the fact that everybody's on Syracuse makes me think that nope. Houston might win. Syracuse is going to make the final four. Yeah? Yep. All right, so then we'll, we'll do this right now. Bob, give me your final four right now. Gonzaga, Florida State, Baylor, Cuse, Gonzaga, Baylor, Gonzaga wins. Dave? Bama, Gonzaga, Baylor, and then bottom right. Remind me, who else is in the bottom right? Loyola, Chicago, Oregon State, Cuse, Houston. Fuck it, I'm going with Cuse. Also, I don't believe in I don't believe in Houston at all. I honestly, I'm shocked that they beat Cleveland State. My final four. Did you say you're shocked that? Oh my god. Yeah. Well, in the um, maybe I shouldn't have bring brought this up, but. I did pick Cleveland State. So, I picked Yeah, but they didn't cover. I picked, I picked the worst 15 seed. If only yeah, I didn't or yeah. Roberts. Um, and then I'll say my final four will be Gonzaga. You know what? I mm, No, I'll say Bama. Baylor and then I think Loyola Chicago comes out. Like they're still they're still that team. There's something to be said for 
for having been there before. Like I said, with um, Villanova or about Villanova earlier, even though I don't think they're going to go far. Crutwig against that Q zone. Ooh. Yeah. He's yeah, gonna, he's gonna be a weapon. He's work. gonna be a weapon. That's what a good big guy does. I'll tell you what I do, I tear up his own. Yeah, exactly. Crutwig, by the way, has had a lot of exposure, more than most mid major players. Yeah. I mean, he's like I said, yeah, exactly. He's been on this run before. Um, yeah, I'll say those are my four Baylor Zaga tournament fine or championship and Gonzaga at this point. Like I just haven't like I don't know how long, how much longer we can say it's tough to judge them until we see them hit competition without just saying they're better than everybody. Yep. So, all right, we're going to transition into some NFL talk. We talked about the Patriots free agency signings last week, but as we know, that episode is archived and gone forever. So, Bob, fill in a name if at the end of this I forget any, okay? So, since the last time we recorded this podcast, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Matthew Judon, Jalen Mills, Henry Anderson. Good show. God Chow, Devon God Chow. Um, Raekwon McMillan. Raekwon McMillan. Lawrence Guy's back. David Andrews is back. James White is back. Trent Brown. We got Trent Brown. We have acquired. Like, this is a completely different team. And now the only thing that's missing is a quarterback, and there's going to be a lot of people here or that listen to this or will talk to and say that Cam is good enough to do whatever you need to do. But really, realistically, what you need to do is win a Super Bowl, and I don't think Cam Newton can do that for you even with this team. No. So I guess first we'll talk about this, the guys that they brought in and brought back. We'll just talk a little bit about it, like just – them as a whole and then we'll kind of talk about where where do we go from here um so i mean henry and smith incredibly necessary Aguilar, big overpay but still necessary born's gonna born's gonna be a good a good two three receiver we'll see where he slots in with myers good role player yeah i mean seven and a half million but then you see some of these guys that are getting paid and it's like whoa juju's getting eight and we're paying nelson Nelson Aguilar 13 yeah but then Kenny Galladay goes and gets 18, which like makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. Um, we'll talk about the offense first, I guess. Out of those four guys, who do you th- who are you most excited about bringing in? Who do you think is going to be the most impactful? I'm most excited about Janu. I think Hunter Henry is the most impactful. I think John who's going to give us, we, we talked about it or, or last week, obviously like they're going to kind of play that Hernandez Gronk role. Um, John who's going to be the guy who's going to line up, you know, in the slot might go out wide. He's like, you talked about, he, he got running plays in Tennessee. Like he's an athletic freak. Um, so like, I think he's going to be kind of a guy you see all over the field, but at the end of the day, I just think Hunter Henry's kind of that prototype, like six, six, two fifty, two sixty good run blocker can go, go in the middle, you know, eight balls for a hundred yards and a touchdown. Like I, he is probably the, eh, I don't want to say, I'll say the closest thing to Travis Kelsey that there is. I don't know. I, like I know Hunter Henry, like enough, like I've seen him play enough. I don't know. Like his all, all his like, I don't know everything about Hunter Henry, but 
when I've seen him play, he'll have games where it's like that dude's pretty fucking good. I think he's a better blocker than Kelsey, not as good of a receiver. Um, yeah, and we're not not putting him on tra- Travis Kelsey's on a different level. Oh yeah, absolutely. But if there is a guy who is a similar to a Travis Kelsey, it's Hunter Henry. So um, here's the thing that I see. So a lot of people have been saying like, oh, they're trying to recreate Hernandez and Gronk, but these guys aren't even close to that type of caliber. I don't think they're trying to recreate Hernandez and Gronk, but time and time again, they've shown that they're good. The Patriots can succeed with a, with two good tight ends and running two tight end sets. Before Hernandez and Gronk, there was Daniel Graham and Ben Watson. After Hernandez and Gronk was Gronk and Martellus Bennett. Time and time again on winning Patriots teams, they've had two solid, dependable tight ends. And there's a lot to be said for that. So, uh, and then the, the two receivers will – I'm I'm not as excited about Aguilar as I think I am about the tight ends. Aguilar, we said he's he was second in the NFL last year of tight end or you know touchdowns over 20 yards, and that's well and great. I just don't see how that fits in with the Patriots, considering you have a quarterback who can't throw 20 yards. So we'll we'll see there. Kendrick Bourne, I know you're a fan of. Yeah. And then we'll address the defensive side of things. So they bring it. They bring in Devon Godchow. We brought back Kyle Van Noy. We forgot about that. Yes, Kyle Van Noy, Matthew Judon, Jalen Mills, and Patrick Chung retired. And then we also brought back Lawrence Guy. So I think the two, the three most impactful, I think, will be Judon, Van Noy, and bring back Guy. Losing Chung hurts, but then it's It's Jalen, Jalen Mills them signing him makes a lot more sense. Now you got kind of a seamless fill in here for like a guy who can pick up some of the slack that Duggar won't be able to take on right away. Um, but I think, I mean, and David Andrews is the man. You're getting paid 1 million in salary over the next two years. Talk about a team guy. Like he, he's going to be a Patriots Hall of Famer one day, no yeah. doubt. I mean, so I, I think they've put themselves in a position here where they have a, probably a top five defense in the league. And the offense has potential to grow, but I don't know. There's definitely a ceiling on that offense with Cam Newton behind center. So here's the question. When we were recording today about two hours earlier, the San Francisco 49ers traded three first-round picks, including this year, and a third-round pick to move up to number three, presumably to take a quarterback. But they're saying that Jimmy G is unavailable and that he's going to be their quarterback this year. A, do you believe that? And B, if you don't, is Jimmy G going to be a Patriot club? So I think the plan is Jimmy G is your quarterback this year. Uh, you you are is sorry sorry is San Francisco's quarterback this year? I think he is under center. I kind of think it's like um, kind of like in the few, in the past like. I feel like every quarterback that gets picked, unless you're like, like we know Trevor Lawrence is going to step in day one and be the starter. Uh, like we knew Kyler Murray was going to step in day one, but a lot of the times you're a top quarterback. I think it's been proven that it's a little bit better to have him sit for a little bit. So it wouldn't shock me if they take, you know, a Trey Lance or Justin Fields, a guy who might be more of a project and you let him sit for one year behind Jimmy G and then next year you move on. Um, so, yeah, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is in San Francisco. I think – could I see him coming back to New England next year? Yes. Not this year. 
So for me, I think it's Jimmy G is going to be in New England this year. Or he's not coming in New England. Um, I I just can't see the Patriots just waiting around and being content with a guy. Jimmy G has a ceiling too, if we're being honest. Yep. But his ceiling as a quarterback, I think at this rate in his career, is much higher than Kansas. So I don't see the Patriots wasting a year of a very well-built team with a lot of new weapons just for a guy who elevates your potential just a little bit more. I think if, if Jimmy G is not coming this year, they're going to have to get creative with things. And whether that's, whether that's trading up and like, if you have to trade up and get Mac Jones, if you think that's your guy, then you have to do it. And I'm not super enthusiastic about it, but Hey, you don't really have many other options. And I also should say that I think that Jimmy G is also staying in San Francisco. And I also expect San Francisco to draft Justin Fields because I think that they could have traded into four, five, six, seven, and still got Trey Lance. I'm not sure you can say that about Justin Fields. Justin Fields is, in my opinion, he's the, in my opinion, he's the second best quarterback in the draft. And I, I will on the record say that I want him on the Pats, but I just don't think it's going to happen at this rate. So, I mean, at this point, Cam Newton's your quarterback. And worst case scenario, Cam Newton's your quarterback and you get somebody who can really help out in a different part of the team at 15. Like you're going to get somebody good because if people are overpaying for five quarterbacks in the top 10 before you, that's going to have a top 10 talent slide to you. And the name that I keep seeing is Micah Parsons. And if that's the guy that's going to lead your linebackers for the next 12 years, then you're all right. Can we can I throw a little tidbit here? <clears throat> I don't know if you saw what I, I tweeted uh, yesterday. Micah Parsons and his teammate, Jason Owe, uh, they're both like potential yeah. like first-round picks. Micah Parsons is 6'3 and a half, 246 pounds. Looks like he was made in a factory. Ran a 4'3'9". At 245 pounds, and you think you think that's disgusting? Then Jason Owe is a defensive end who's 257 and ran a 437. Yeah, that's pretty dude. What what factory? Where do these guys come from? Like how many guys? The, the crazy part is if Parsons is there at 15, like he's a top five pick any of the. Oh my god, yeah. But and like I think a lot of things help that like it could happen too is like. There's three top of the line receivers that are there that and Kyle Pitts in front of you. There's two O line like tackles and tackles will always fly off the board early and often. Like there's potential. I would be fine with Micah Parsons. You take Micah Parsons, you just find any way to get him on the football field because he's big and fast. That's how yeah. you win in the NFL. Yeah. Big and fast. I, but what well, I Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get more into draft heavy stuff um, in the next coming weeks with the draft approaching in less than four weeks now or four weeks from Sunday. Basically, yeah, basically a month. Yeah. So we'll move into a little bit of Celtics. Just brief here. Trade deadline yesterday. Talk all week. Aaron Gordon. Talk all week. Aaron Gordon. Talk all week. Aaron Gordon. Oh, the Celtics are in on Aaron Gordon. Pinch me if you've heard this before. Celtics are in on a guy that would really help and won't pull the trigger because Danny won't get rid of a first round pick and a young guy. I like then they go out and trade for Evan Fournier. I like that. Yeah, you get him for two second rounders. You got him for basically nothing. That's nice. He just like 
Aaron Gordon raises your your ceiling a lot more than Evan Fournier does, and he does fit. He fills a need way more than Fournier does, and we did need more shooting. I get that Fournier helps. I'm not saying he doesn't. Aaron Gordon would have been a perfect fit in Boston. See, I'm I'm gonna I'll play the devil's advocate here or okay. the other the other role. I think Fournier was a much bigger need. Have you? Uh, I we were looking at it yesterday. His stats this year is averaging 23 and four, so 20 points, three rebounds, four assists, and he's shooting 39 percent from deep. Tell me that that any players like all right defense. Tell me that's not what we need. We need a, a, a wing scorer off the bench who can come in and hit the three. That's what Aaron Neesmith should be, but he's just not. He's just too young. So, question I, for you. With Fournier now, would you consider the, the topic that we talked about earlier, which is – or a couple weeks ago, which is starting smart at point guard and Fournier at shooting guard and then bringing Kemba off the bench? Would yep. you consider that? Yep. Do you think I they think- will? I think you – man, I, see, this is my thing. With, with the Celtics now looking at, like we'll, – we'll talk about a little bit, like their buyout guys potentially. But I think right now if you were playing in a big-time game, your lineup is – you know Jason Tatum's on the floor. You know Jalen Brown's on the floor. It's probably Robert Williams is on the floor now. Um, and I just think Marcus Smart is a lock to be on the floor. Would you rather have six, seven Evan Fournier who can, who's averaging 20 points, having a career year? I know he's in Orlando, so they kind of suck. So it's like, you know, the stats might be skewed a little bit. Who, like, you know, he's having a good year, shooting it well. Or do you want 5'11 Kemba who's struggling? Yeah. I, know he's, I know Kemba's been an all-NBA guy. Like, it's a 6'7 wing who can shoot it. There aren't many guys. There aren't many guys in the NBA that average twenty points. You know, yeah. You get a guy that does that. I don't think you get worse. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And it's just I. I don't see Brad doing that. And but I will say, Fournier helps. You could have. You could have upgraded. Maybe like you can play a small ball lineup and have Gordon guard the five if you brought him in. Unfortunately, he's in Denver now. You also lost Daniel Tice in the process, which is like yeah. kind of seems like a step back, honestly. Like, would you rather have Tice or Fournier long term? If you can keep them, definitely Fournier. But I don't know about this season how much losing Tice helps you. I get it. Daniel Tice, like, shouldn't be taking that last three wherever the hell he was. Or was that Milwaukee the other night where he missed it? Yeah. But you've now put a lot of trust into the hands of Robert Williams. Like you're probably going to see him getting an, an uptick in minutes. You're yeah. putting a lot of trust in Tristan Thompson, who's been okay. Not great. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. It can't be worse than they've been the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm, I'm a known Daniel Tice guy. Uh, I was sad to see him go. We talked about like the Patriots though with, with Daniel Tice, there is a ceiling and I think we saw it last year and like the bubble. I think our ceiling was that Eastern Conference. Like, Daniel Tice can't cover Bam. Yeah. I don't know if Robert Williams can, but I know I Robert. is your better chance. Yeah, Robert Williams pushes our ceiling up. Like, our, our ceiling's higher with Robert Williams. Do you um, think Mo Wagner or Luke Cornett, like, play more than 10 minutes a game? <clears throat> Wagner's interesting. I wouldn't <clears> – <throat> 
I, he could be a score. Uh, he's a, I mean, a scoring big, you know, need yeah. a bucket. But I don't see the bench guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, I guess kind of leading into it. Do you think we get Andre Drummond? That's one of the the rumors. I would. I would. I mean, you kind of need him. You need him more than the other teams that are out on him need him. Um, yeah. I. I hope I don't. I'm not overly optimistic, but I hope. I'll put it at that. Yeah. So you would get him for one. You get him for a, like a, basically a rental, right? Yeah, for the rest of the year. Why not? Why not? Whatever. Robert Williams is gonna like. He's already. I feel like he has a, a role enough where it's like even if Andre Drummond comes in tomorrow, Robert Williams is still gonna play 22 minutes or whatever. Like, does it really set you that far back if for 25 games Robert Williams only plays 20? Like. Yeah. No, I agree. So yeah, that's our that's our brief little Celtics talk. Um, we're gonna transition into some U.S. soccer talk and then finish with some gambling. Um, so international window, big for two reasons here. So first one being you got the U.S. team, the senior team together for the for the for the last time until we get pretty much nothing but competitive games for the next year and a half. Um, and then you have the U23s trying to qualify for the Olympics. So I, I, don't, I think I've mentioned it in past podcasts. I'm not sure if I have. Um, the Olympics for soccer, the entire team has to be under 23 years old. So the team that qualifies can only be under 23 players. And then if you make the Olympics, you get three overage players for the roster. Uh, the U.S. at this point finished second in their group. So they advanced to the game that they need to get to. And they need to beat Honduras on Sunday to advance. If they win that game, they advance to the Olympics, and then they would play in the CONCACAF championship just for the title. So, uh, Dave, which one do you want to start with? you want to start with the senior team and the Olympic team? Uh, I think more important would be the under-23s for the Olympics. Yeah. So, they, they, beat, they beat Costa Rica and the Dominican Republic and lost to Mexico but still advance, get the top two in that group. Um, kind of a weaker roster just because teams don't really let a lot of their players go and play in the U23 camp just because it's a longer camp than just the, the normal window would be. Um, but some early con- contributors have been Jesus Ferreira, Hassani Dotson, and David Ochoa. Uh, but for you, you know, what have, what have you seen so far? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the Mexico loss is necessarily that important. Uh, it was good to see I – mean, I know Dominican's not really good competition, but it's good to see them getting out there and scoring a bunch of goals. Costa Rica, I was on the plane, on a plane, so I couldn't really watch that. Um, but from what I saw in the highlights, uh, we played all right, and then towards the end kind of played a little bit defensively, kind of got a little nervy. Um, yeah, but, so the, the Costa Rica game, a lot of chances early finally put one away and then it kind of kind of, kind of got nervy towards the end um yep. the Dominican game they looked a little shaky in the first half it was zero zero at halftime and then they just scored a billion goals in the second half a billion being four but still and then the the Mexico game they still trotted out for the most part what's a full strength team considering who's available lost but I mean like I said it doesn't really matter but the U.S. has not made the Olympics for soccer since 2008, and this is a big opportunity for them, especially for some of these guys. Like, if you perform at the Olympics, big clubs come calling. Um, and I would say there's probably 
probably less than half of the players that are on this camp that would qualify if they qualify for the Olympics would probably be on the team. If you have a full strength of 23, it might be less than a quarter to be completely honest with you, just because we're so packed at the young, at this age group. Yeah. Full strength under 23 team would be, I would say kind of similar to our senior team at this point. Yeah. Like barring three players pretty much. Yeah. We're rebuilding from the Trinidad disaster. And I would say the, on this under-23 game on Sunday to qualify for the Olympics is probably the biggest test or the most important test since that failure to qualify. It's, I would say, a litmus test, if you will, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. To see where the program is, maybe public perception. If we don't qualify for the Olympics, then everyone comes back, rightly so, and says, are we actually making the right changes here? So qualifying for the Olympics on Sunday would be really, really important, especially for the development of these younger players who most of which that would be playing in the Olympics probably are on the actual team. So this yeah. is, this is from, the future of our, our national team. From a consequential perspective, I would say this is the most important game that we've had since the Trinidad game. You could argue that like maybe the, the Gold Cup final – is I mean, a bigger deal, but it's the Gold Cup, and it happens every three years, and you're playing dirt poor teams. This is a, this is a chance to go, you know, test your the strength of your up and coming program against the rest of the world, not just against Concacaf. Um, so, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act like I know a lot about the Honduras under 23s, but if I know anything, the U.S. should take care of this. They should win, but you just don't know. So Sunday night they're playing against Honduras to be on Fox Sports One. Um, with a chance to advance to the Olympics, which is pretty exciting stuff. Would so then we'll transition. Go ahead. Sorry. Would be a complete failure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to transition into the senior team. Um, friendlies this week. So one yesterday with a 4-1 win over Jamaica, and they have one on Sunday against Northern Ireland. First time we've seen Kristen Pulisic, jersey, Kristen Pulisic in a U.S. jersey in over 18 months or 16 months, actually, I think. Um, you have pretty much a full-strength squad together with the exception of Tim Weah, Weston McKinney, and Tyler Adams, I would say, who not because of being injured for the first time. Like, nobody's really hurt at all, knock on wood. Um, but nobody is – I mean, there's just travel restrictions in Europe and where you can go and stuff like that. So from this roster, the biggest – thing that catches my eye apart from having the the most of the group together is the two new strikers that you've brought into the pool which is Daryl DK and Jordan Siabichu. Um DK's been banging goals in for Barnsley. Um he's got five goals in seven games on loan from Orlando City. Siabichu's been uh, someone who's been on the US radar for a little while. He's been eligible for the US and France. He's got America. he's born in the states to French parents. And I think he was kind of kind of holding out hope for a little while that he's going to be able to play for France. But, I mean, if you look at the French team, there's no way he was ever even sniffing that team. France is, um, France is like, yeah, on no, a different level with depth. Yeah, he's not competing with Griezmann or Mbappe for minutes, even a little bit. But he's on loan right now from Rennes in France to Young Boys in Switzerland. And I think he's got like six or seven Europa League goals this year, which is – Pretty big number for European competition. So 
he got he got some minutes yesterday, but it'll be interesting to see how Greg sees their fit. Um, the only other striker that we really haven't seen is Matthew Hoppy from Schalke, who apparently is getting bids from Bayern Munich for over twenty million, which seems a little doesn't seem all that right, but it's coming from a reliable source, so which is, makes it even more confusing. Uh, other than that, Yunus Musa commits to the U.S. long term. Huge get for the program. He's an 18-year-old stud starting in the or starting for Valencia already. Chooses the U.S. over England, over Italy, over Ghana. So big win for them. He's going to be a, a big piece to this puzzle for the next 10, 12 years. So, you know, you're starting to build this team up one by one. Dave, I'm going to name a lineup. And you tell me if right now this is the best lineup possible. And if it's not, then tell me what it is. Okay? Go for it. So, in goal, Stefan, agree? Matt Turner. I'm kidding. But Matt Um, Turner's the number two. I would agree. He's the number two at this point. From right to left in the back, Dest, who I think you can say is the best American and maybe the second best American in the world right now. And I think Pulisic's third right now. And I think Dest showed he can play left back. Yeah, which is huge because we have depth on either side now. Yeah. Um, So Dest at right back. That right center back position is going to be probably one of the bigger storylines over the next year and a half because you've had Chris Richards emerge. Aaron Long's a possibility. You have guys like Mark McKenzie. There's a bunch of different guys here who could fill in. Mark McKenzie's not on this roster, but both Richards and Long are, and they both played a half with Brooks, who's going to be the fill-in shoe-in starter at left center back. Um, So I guess the question is, who's your right center back? For me, it's Richards. I would would go for Richards, especially because it's for the future. Aaron Long is – he's good. He's just a little bit on the older side, and he's not really – I mean, Brooks is cemented in there. So that's like, that's why it's fine that he's around 27, 28, however old, however old he is. Um, but Aaron Long has not been like, he doesn't have the experience that John Brooks does. He is, he does still play for the Red Bulls in New York. So, I mean, Richards is the center back of the future. So I think you just start grooming him now. I don't think there's a huge difference between him and Aaron Long in World Cup qualifying, at least. I think you could argue that John Brooks has a more cemented place in this lineup than maybe anybody other than Pulisic, maybe? Yeah. Or McKenney or Adams. But other than that, regardless. Uh, left back, Anthony Robinson, yeah? Yeah. Not I mean, by a lot. He's had a great year for Fulham so far. Yeah, I mean, it's at this point, it's who do you want to see on the field more? Is it Anthony Robinson or is it Reggie Cannon, or we might get to a point here in a year, is it Brian Reynolds, who just got to move to Roma, and he's on this roster. So we'll see how that development goes over the next year. Um, midfield three, this one's easy, right? Very. Moose McKenney Adams? Yeah. I mean, they had, in that window, they had Legette, and I'm not a huge Acosta fan. I have no problems with Legette, though. Just, I mean, the Twitter warriors are all over him just because he plays in the MLS, but yeah, no, or, same thing with Acosta. And I actually thought Acosta played really well yesterday. Yeah, I wasn't talking about yesterday. I was just talking about he reminds yeah, me of no. one of those rolled-on trap guys that Greg loves. To yeah, 
Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and then this is probably the most attacking depth that I can ever remember the U.S. having in quality depth, quality guys. So on the wings, conceivably, you could see starting over the next year. So on the wings, Wea, Conrad, Pulisic. I think Aaronson's a winger now, no? He can play wing, yeah. He's been playing there for Salzburg, and he's, that's where Greg played him yesterday on the left wing, and he played really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm missing a couple. Jordan Morris, if he gets back healthy. He will. That was a tough and break then, for him. Yeah, maybe Uliana's. We'll see what happens there. And then striker, you have Zardes, uh, Sargent, DK, Sivachu, Soto. I'm assuming that he'll probably start to get integrated with the first team towards the end of next year or towards the beginning of next year. And then I'm missing one I was just going to talk about. I don't know. It'll hit me at some point. I don't even think Josie's in the picture at this point. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him brought into a camp, but like. I don't think he should be, but I can definitely see them if we in qualifying or if we qualify for the World Cup being like that veteran guy that just sits on the bench, maybe comes in like 85th minute. Oh, this is the other one that I was going to mention. The possibility of maybe Fuller and Balogun from Arsenal being brought in. I don't know how realistic it is, but who knows? Hey, ride, ride the wave. I mean, you've got like, we mentioned that like 80% of this roster is under 23 anyways. So they, yeah. I, I think that probably had to do something with getting Musa to join. You have all these young guys. I think what, one of these days we'll do a podcast. Maybe, maybe before, uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll figure out when it will be. Maybe like right before World Cup qualifying. We'll, we'll just like actually break down the roster and just teach Bob about, you know, what, what we got here and what's what's being made here. So, all right, that is the soccer show. We're going to wrap this up with some gambling and then Dave's going to give us something to ponder and then we'll get out of here. So, one quick thing. Yeah, absolutely. Tejan uh, Buchanan is going off for the Canadian under 23 and Kessler got two starts for the U.S., so. Go I don't know how much longer we're going to see Tejan Buchanan in a register if he keeps playing like All that. All right, relax, relax. After <laughs> he leads us to an MLS Cup this year, then he can go for like – Yeah, he's my candidate for like breakout player of the year, best 11 kind of thing. Let's hope. Um, all right. I don't even – like I wasn't – my picks were not good for much madness. But, hey, if they weren't recorded, did they even count? So, who knows? You did post them out on Instagram. Yeah, but like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, one and seven, but the futures don't count. And that's so it's one and three. So who cares? I also did tragically. You can just hear the depression in our voices just talking about that. Bob, what'd you do? Two and two? Oh, uh, I'm like my daily, like my like first round games. Yeah, two and two. You won Q's, lost Wichita State. Won LSU, lost Virginia. Got it. All right. Let's just hop right into this week's picks. Um, anybody want to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. All right, go ahead. Um, probably a light weekend pick-wise. I think I'm going to go with three or four uh, Sweet 16 games. Maybe we'll throw – want to throw out <clears throat> um, – like we can do this on, on Monday or Monday morning we'll throw out Elite, an Elite 8 pick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On the Instagram, plug the Instagram. Yeah, at a word from Don. Yeah, so I got I got three picks this week. 
or two minimum, not three. I'm taking Syracuse money line against Houston. Uh, it's plus two fifteen. I like the Orange men. Just think they. I think there's something about him this year. But he's got the swagger. Um, I like Florida State plus one twenty uh, against Michigan. I'm. I like the Seminoles. I think they. I just think they cause too much, too many problems. They're. They got everything. Um, big, small. You want to play five guys, six, seven. They can do that. And then I'm going to take Oregon plus one hundred eight. They've had USC's number twice, which I usually go against that. I usually say if you've played a team twice and you beat them, the third time the other team's destined to beat you. Um, but I think Oregon, just the way they looked against Iowa was different, uh, and they were kind of hitting on all cylinders. So those are three underdog money line picks. You can take the spread, but I there's more value in the money line, so I'm going to roll with that. And then I have one. This is probably a, a pretty common one. To win the tournament, Gonzaga's plus 150. I just feel like that that's – Big value. Yeah, I just feel like that's stealing. So, yeah. the Zags plus 150 to win it. Those are my picks. Dave, you want to go or you want me to? Yeah, I'll go. Um, I got Syracuse money line also. I'm taking Gonzaga minus 13. I do not believe in Creighton. As you mentioned, they're arguably – the worst team remaining other than Oral Roberts on paper, I suppose, but Oral Roberts is on a tear. So maybe not. Um, and then Baylor minus seven and a half. I think Nova, we're just waiting for Nova to lose at this point. I think they're going to lose by like 12, write it down. Yeah. Um, is that it for you? That's it. All right. So I actually have uh, five picks. So I'm taking Creighton. I'm going to take the Creighton-Gonzaga over 157.5. If Creighton wants to stay in that game, they're going to have to score points. Gonzaga's probably going to hit at least 85. I think Gonzaga, Creighton could probably pick up the rest. I think, I mean, Gonzaga could even hit 100. Um, So, I mean, if they hit 60 and Gonzaga puts up 100, that's just my logic in my brain thinking it makes sense. We're going to go with it. Um, My next pick is going to be Baylor minus seven. Also, um, like I said, Bob thinks that he wouldn't or he wouldn't be surprised if Nova came out and won. I just I don't see Nova being able to keep up. Like they got two first, like their first two games were just kind of bunnies. To be completely honest, like North Texas was a gift. Gross games. Yeah. So I mean that that's mine there. Uh, my third pick is going to be Bama minus seven over UCLA. UCLA has had a nice little run, but I think if Bama's hitting shots right now, so and when Bama hits shots, they're tough to beat. So that's that's my third pick, and then we're going to go a little bit of international soccer. Like I said, we got the international window going right now. My first pick is tomorrow. We have Belgium minus one forty over the Czech Republic. Belgium's just a wagon. Just makes sense. Good line. Take it. Don't question it. Um, and then my second one is going to be – I just lost it, so hold on one second. I second the Belgian pick, by the way. Do you? Who's even on the Czech Republic? <clears throat> um, the only one I can think of is Suchek from West Ham. Can you think of anybody, Dave? No, I can't. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. Uh, and then my 
last pick of the week is going to also be tomorrow. I'm just, I don't feel great about it, but I don't hate it either. I'm also going to just take, going to take Portugal minus 140 over Serbia. Portugal has like a ton of depth right now, a ton of depth. And there's a lot of good young players in there. Is the goal completed every possession at every position. What was that? Is the goal plan? Uh, no, Messi plays for Argentina. Oh, I was talking about the guy that wears seven. Oh, 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 Ronaldo? Yeah. You mean the second best of all time? Yeah. No, he's playing. Um, he's so those, are, those, are my, those are my five picks for the week, more than I usually do. But, hey, um, Dave's going to give us something to ponder, and then we're going to get out of here. Yeah. So this week's topic of discussion is corn. Um, every, a lot of things, a lot of processed things have corn in them. So if you look at – see, I'm looking at a jar of peanut butter right now. That is made with corn. So just think about it. Most of the things that are processed in your kitchen probably have some sort of corn in them. How's your corn? All right. Well, thanks, Dave. Ponder that. Uh, we'll be back here same time next week. Boys, we'll talk soon. Peace. Peace.